This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. This week, we sat down with our good friend, Mark Bohorch of Q Engineering, and Alan Gilmer, founder and chairman of Inveris, which most of you know as Drilling Info. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know Mark very well. Uh, we've had him on the show during the early days, uh, and it's been really cool to see how Q Engineering has grown over the last few years and now has been successfully acquired by Inveris. Uh, surprisingly enough, though, it was our first time sitting down with Alan, and I was just blown away. He was just a great guy. We had a great conversation. Uh, he had a lot of insight into a lot of things and is a startup guy through and through, so that was really refreshing. We'll be getting Alan on the show again soon to dive deep into the story of Inveris. I know he's got a lot of great stories to tell. Uh, but really quickly, before we get into the episode, if you've worked around gas for any amount of time, you know how difficult it is dealing with H2S. It's dangerous for our guys in the field. It damages infrastructure, not to mention it costs a fortune to treat. And the guys over at Streamline Innovations are tackling this issue. Now, they've been helping operators save money on H2S treatment since 2016. And now that ESG is the talk of the town, it's undeniable, uh, they can also help operators bolster their ESG rating because their Valkyrie technology is biodegradable, it eliminates hazardous chemical disposal, and reduces flaring. Now, we're going to get their co-founder, David Sisk, on the show to dive deep into their story and how they've been helping operators over the past few years. But in the meantime, I know there are a lot of you who are having to factor in treating into your new projects. Streamline has built up an incredible team of gas treatment and processing experts that are happy to be a resource to you as you start to work through your gas processing and treating challenges. You can reach out to them directly at www.streamlineinnovations.com or just click the link in the show notes. What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the One Guest Startups Podcast. We're super excited about today. We've got two of our friends here. Um, Mark Bohorich is, is making his his third debut on the show. It's the triple crown. <laughs> the triple crown. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. I am, I am sorry. And we are also here with a special guest, Alan Gilmer. Uh, founder of Drilling Info, now known as Inveris. So, uh, Alan, it's the first time actually meeting. We've run in the same circles for so long, so it's been a pleasure meeting you, and I'm so excited to dive into y'all's relationship and why y'all are in the room here as well. So, Mark, let's go ahead and take it back just a little bit really quickly. Just give everybody a high-level overview for the for the 100th time about who you are and what you do, uh, and then we'll dive in. And then, actually, let's just take it to the – there's probably three people in the industry who don't know what Inverse Drilling Info is. So for those three people, <laughs> let's give them a high-level overview uh, for you, Alan, and then we'll we'll take it from there. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, you know, my name is Mark Bohorich. I'm a founder of Q Engineering, and uh, Q Engineering was started because we had a purpose in the industry. As a, as a reservoir engineer for 10 years, there's a gap, and we started a company, my partner and I, to fill that gap. Uh, fast forward three years, uh, you know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, you know, bootstrapped the whole thing. So, uh, a lot of tough decisions along the way, but an opportunity and really to get to know uh, who I think are the best people in the business. The, the, the 15 guys we got to come come work with us to help grow this thing over that three year period, and um, you know, excited to uh, to say that we're 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 home at uh, Inveris and. 
you know, that deal is uh, closed up last uh, last month and really excited to continue uh, to grow the, the mission and the vision inside a company that's just a larger version of what we were. So yeah, it's just a, it's amazing to see, you know, from the last time you were on our show, <clears throat> I didn't look, but it's probably sometime around a year ago. You know, I would say that's safe to say. And at that time, you guys were just growing so quick. And I know there's a there's a clip in that in that episode where I said, can't wait to have you on the show again and see where you guys are at next time. <laughs> and here you are, acquired, yeah. growing. I mean, it's just awesome. And for all our listeners, you know, obviously you're not here, but Mark brought us a, a bottle of champagne. So Cheers. Or, yeah, cheers. <laughs> we're, we're celebrating today. So. so I'd love to say that I'm surprised, but honestly, I'm not. Just with y'all's work ethic and, and what you've been able to build and, and to find a certain niche within the industry, you guys have just absolutely crushed it. And so if anybody deserves it, it's you guys. And so wow. we're just super excited. Ever since we found out the news, man, I've just been just so happy for, for both parties. I think it's a wonderful fit. Entrepreneurship is a team sport. So it's, 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 it's uh, it, you know, this team is, is, is dug in and, and really, I think, excited about going forward too. Awesome. So Alan, really quickly, just give everybody a quick high level review of your background <laughs> for those who don't know. Well, I was a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, geophysicist by background. And I started a seismic uh, company, uh, first to go shoot uh, seismic surveys for working interests, you know, kind of equity for service uh, back in the uh, back in the 90s. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, hiring people to work on a seismic cruise when you have no real money is um, it's a clown it's a true true clown show is, is that is that uh, called belt strapping no, like, <laughs> i like it That's what, at the time you know it was kind of the pre-tattoo phase but it was like we we had the tattoo to tooth ratio uh, for the cruise like, it was kind of a kpi for how good we we're gonna be you weren't, but, you weren't getting people with more than two teeth were you no there was not very many of those and you know I learned how to spot meth problems really quickly. <laughs> All the stuff that was not in the marathon management manual. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, the problem is that you're taking those kind of deals. You don't have uh, – uh, you're depending on the people you're taking the deals from for all the information necessary to make your decision. And there's a bit of a moral hazard involved in that. So, uh, And at the also kind of in the late 90s, there was this big effort to try to uh, kind of – consolidate the digital information, you know, all this information and, they, and people were trying to make monopolies out of, mm -hmm. out of the various different kinds of information you needed to do to make, make the business accessible. And, uh, I was really just, uh, I, I really felt that that was a bad model because it was going to be really focusing on big companies. And, uh, this industry does not work without every scale of business, small business through the, you know, I, I think when you go talk to your neighbors at a cocktail party and you say, Hey, you know, there's a, you know, there's over 6,000 independent operators in the United States and, uh, they produce, they drill 90% of the wells and they, and they, uh, you know, make 80% of the production and that's not big oil. And I don't think people really put that two to two together. They, they've been told a narrative about the oil business yeah. that is completely you know, not true. Yeah. So, uh, uh, we were, the whole concept was if we can go get data, uh, we can put it together and tools, you know, we were doing things. It was long before SAS was a word, but yeah. you know, delivery through the internet, we, you know, first application you had to, uh, we were limited to 40 kilobyte pages. You know, <laughs> you know it oh, was Lord. ridiculous. So that was, that was a different time. It was. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget those, <laughs> and, and, but it was, um, 
you know, we had this plan, you know, I, I still pull out the business plan every year to read it. And it's amazing, you know, the things that we haven't yet achieved and the things that we did and, and frankly didn't anticipate. But it's, uh, we really saw a need for kind of uh, information. And we, mm-hmm. and, and, and the problem with the oil business that I always had was it was empty software that was written 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it was raw data that was oftentimes pretty filthy. Mm-hmm. And then everybody, they would sell those. That was the way you made, you, you went out and you sold those things. And so then everybody would go do the same exact same thing to try to clean it up and put it into a system. And, uh, and once they did that, then it was, uh, and then you would take it to a technical professional and everyone that was working in a particular area would do exactly the same thing. So there was, everything was rote and it was all about, we just were a, an industry that built the wheel over and over again. And it was like, what about if we could build something that got smarter over time and, uh, and you didn't have to go reinvent wheels all the time and you didn't have to do the road stuff and that you just got smarter and that you could use your technical professionals who you're using for their creativity to be able to be creative. Mm-hmm. So do you see any similarities, you know, back in these early days when you got that idea, do you see any similarities to the industry today and what we're going through? You know, I hate using the words digital transformation because it's just completely, I mean, abused in this industry, yeah. but, you know, companies like Q Engineering or other just new age um, software and SaaS products, do you kind of see the same, some parallels or similarities in today's market that you did back then? You know, back in the day when we started this, the only people that were really doing anything online or trying to build SaaS tools or ASP tools at the time was were uh, were auction, you know, auction spaces. Mm-hmm. And then there was a few that were trying to go out there and being very audacious that were being underwritten by the big companies and to go kind of be uh, catalog or logistical you know, kind of logistics enablers. You know, and, uh, you know, put everybody's catalog so that they could all go bid off the catalogs. And the problem was, is that nobody wanted that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so a lot of dollars got killed in there. And, you know, and our concept was, well, people need information to make any kind of decision. So how to, if you can go create the information environment and the analysis environment to make decisions, then everything falls from that. And I think that today people have a, a much clearer view of what, uh, of what software can and cannot do and True. what kind of, and you know, and I think back when we started, no one really had a great idea of what an active network was yeah. and, and, you know, the collaborative aspects of an active network and a sing- and, and leveraging single instance applications. So, mm-hmm. and I think today, you know, that's kind of taken for granted. So, well, I mean, I can't speak for, for, for other companies, but on our case, you know, we couldn't have done what we did without having that information aggregated in a reliable spot. I mean, you're kind of reinventing the wheel kind of question. Once you reinvent, you know, uh, let's say the wheel, it's, it's kind of makes no sense to not also reinvent, you know, the hubcap and <laughs> start the building the car and, around yeah. it. Yeah. And, and so I think it's a natural, you know, it's a natural transformation of progression maybe. Um, and, you know, I, I would say Q engineering is, is one, one company of that. And, and you could like tick off like the five or six uh, mm-hmm. just easily that are also kind of taking advantage of some other part of the drilling info and various, you know, kind of data infrastructure and serving that data and trying to, you know, help their clients not reinvent the whole wheel either. Um, just kind of follow it in your footsteps. Well, you know, I think uh, 
you know, Tanya Andrian, who's our COO. Who is, is fantastic, by the way. <clears throat> she's amazing. Yeah, really superlative. But uh, she was the – we were talking about how do we – we that we don't really have the bandwidth to create everything that we want to create. And frankly, uh, you know, got to know Mark three years ago when he's yeah. just, you know, starting the thing up. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah, and uh, we – he and uh, he and his – and James came up to Austin, and we, we sat down and we talked about – and I told him all the problems that we had had, you know, the mistakes that we had made and the things we could do better. And, yeah. uh, and it was fun. And, and, and they, they got on our radar screen at that point. And, uh, we were really interested to see how, how they were going to evolve. And, uh, they, uh, they came to a couple of disruptors summits that we had. Thanks for the invitation, by the way. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those things where it was like, you know, we're working on, we were working on some similar things. But they built a, a much better mousetrap, and and the whole concept of kind of creating a an, uh, an ecosystem in which we help them to be able to get into uh, uh, to growth phase more quickly, mm-hmm. and to uh, see if things were taking place. We figured you know, we didn't have any kind of quid pro quo agreement to acquire them. It was the idea being that if we could be familiar with them and uh, mm-hmm. and 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 really see how how these guys are and. Their culture was fantastic, and we loved them. And uh, uh, then, then we would uh, be in a position to be able to go out there and 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 make uh, an acquisition opportunity that was going to be the best for 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 every side. I think that's such an underutilized strategy in the startup space. You know, you have a early stage startup. Sounds like it's kind of a mentoring relationship uh, between, much, yeah. yeah, you know, between drilling info and you guys and you're learning um, from them. You're on their radar. You build a relationship over a few years. Once you've progressed and you've built something spectacular, it just makes sense for an acquisition to happen. Right. Sure, and sure. I don't think um, a lot of founders really think about that too much, building those relationships in the early days. Well, it's, it's something that, uh, that uh, I think, Inveris uh, drilling info at the time. Inveris is, is really good at. It. If you look at their partner page, you know you kind of see a who's who of companies that are that are really trying to push that boundary in, in, in all sorts of different uh, environments. Uh, you know, it could be in kind of the environmental uh, aspect like Transact and some of those guys, and uh, could be you know applications like Q Engineering. Um, but uh, you know, I think if to Alan's point on the EMP upstream side, if it takes all types of budgets all types of players to to make this industry work and kind of create that food chain it's even i think equally as true in software where you know the the amount of encouragement that alan personally brings to the space to the founders speaking publicly telling you know the stories the that really kind of encourage us to keep moving and to keep pushing through and then also being diligent about about expanding the the reach and connecting startups to uh, the Inveris core so that they can continue to grow and prosper. And I mean, it makes the whole ecosystem grow much, I think much more robustly and, and, and really hopefully continues your original vision. Yeah. I mean, cause frankly, uh, I love startup. The startup world is a fantastic world and there's, there's a passion that comes to that, that you, you know, that uh, it's, it's really hard to match. And, that's a big issue that we have. We're we're a bigger company, and uh, and we we take a lot of pride in the fact that we have a a, a great product, uh, you know, cadence with regards to throwing out you know bringing new products to market. But you can never match 
that same passion in a startup. And uh, mm-hmm. so it was cultivating, cultivating startups and those entrepreneurs and giving them a, 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 fun, a fun way out and uh, a lucrative way out and a chance to basically have lots of bites at the apple as we go forward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we think it's a, we, we think it's a, a different model and we're, we're pretty proud of it. James, uh, I was having a conversation with a client this morning with uh, James Ruiz, and he was saying, he goes, yeah, we, you know, we, we did this over three years. He goes, and it felt like three minutes <laughs> underwater. <laughs> it's, it's not a quick three minutes. <laughs> no. so, yeah. so you guys went from a startup yourself. You said you're obviously very passionate about it. And just like you just mentioned, now you're this huge company, and now you're kind of like the incumbent, right? And so some people might see you as, you know, now that – now Inveris has kind of a target on their back, right? But then there's the entire flip side of it through the lens of what we've seen in the oil and gas startup community over the last few years is that for so long, I remember even seven years ago when I first came into this space, there really wasn't a way for anybody to exit unless it was through private equity, if it was through Genstar or if it was through uh, Tom or Bravo or uh, one of those guys like Vista Equity Partners. Um, and you guys have really changed that. And just like you just mentioned, now you're giving... Uh, startup founders a way to exit in a fun way. And as a result, what I've seen over the last three years is now there's a ton of capital that's flowing into energy tech. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't a way to exit, that capital wouldn't be there. We right. wouldn't have the ecosystem. Right. So that's, I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of that, right? And they think that, oh, drilling infos, you know, the, the big bad incumbent, everybody's got to take them off. But what you're doing with acquisitions like this is actually facilitating the growth of this ecosystem and we have a and we and we're very audacious in terms of what we're trying to build and uh, we need independent thinkers and we need the smartest people on the planet to be in the company to help drive that mm-hmm. and to help manage that and so you know uh, the next you know my 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 hopes and dreams are that the the next three or four ceos of of, of Inveris come from the stable of folks that are managing the product lines that we have, you know, that that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, this is a, uh, this is all of us, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the ultimate machine, right? Yeah. If you can take these great products, these great founders and teams, and then you bring them in inside and then, you know, you cultivate a community where they can grow. And then someday, you know, they're running the whole ship. I mean, I, I just think that's a awesome ecosystem and roadmap. Alan, <clears throat> I wanted to tell you, I have so much respect for this guy because yeah. I think it was like a week or two ago on Twitter, someone was on <laughs> one of my one of my threads talking shit about the new name, uh, you know, the new name change. And Alan's over in India, and I don't even know what time it was over in India. <laughs> <laughs> Alan's on Twitter replying back to these anonymous accounts, you know, <laughs> taking shots at him. And I was like, man, I like this guy. I haven't, been, <laughs> I haven't even met him yet, and I like this guy. <laughs> so. I, I got to tell you, man, I, I respect you, um, you know, for, for doing that. I, I thought that was awesome. And it, it's it's very, um, you know, just kind of going back to what you were saying, being involved in the startup community. I mean, you can see that you have that passion still. And I think that's the coolest thing about it. You know, you've built this huge company, but yeah. you still have that fire inside mm-hmm. and giving back to the to the younger generation, yeah. the new startups. I, I just, I think that's awesome. Well, the one thing I want to say, yeah, the reason I have it is because this is the most important uh, industry on the planet and it's the most misunderstood industry on the planet. Absolutely. You know, and in the last decade, we've, you know, this industry has brought a billion people out of poverty and yeah. energy poverty and providing them access to energy, which is fundamental to incre- increasing the quality of life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
And this is an industry that is an, was an old industry that did a lot of things by rote for a long time. And it's ripe for being reinvented and, and being able to take the, the technologies that are being invented very quickly today and applying it to a much more slow-moving you know, uh, industry. But the impact that that will have on people's lives across the board, there's not another industry mm-hmm. that has more of a positive impact on human life. And, uh, you know... Com- do this or you're going to go sell advertisements. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think that our, our, our goal is much more noble. And, and the more that we can help other people go enable this industry yeah. to go do that, the better we're off. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're spot on with the industry being misunderstood. And yeah. I mean, that was the whole genesis of our podcast. You yeah. talk to people and, yeah. you know, people had a very dull outlook on yeah. oil and gas. It wasn't a sexy industry. You know how hard it was to, you know, I'm sure you went through this mark to uh, recruit development talent because who wants to go work in oil and gas? And, um, you know, I think people just don't understand what's happening in the space and the problems yeah. that we're solving. And I mean, it's extremely fascinating and intriguing. And I just, I think it comes I think down the to the industry as a whole also has, ex- they've done a terrible job on trying to at least educate, uh, to inform the masses, uh, of what our industry does. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, I went and spoke at uh, Noble Energies. Um, they had a, a new wave conference last year, and we literally polled the employees of Noble. You know, if hey, if you were in Colorado and you had these, you know, activists coming up to you and talking to you about how bad the industry is, how many actually feel confident enough to like have at least a few talking points? And like, there was not as many people <laughs> raising their hands in the room as I thought. And yeah. so it's like, so that's an internal issue, obviously, yeah, within the, certain these com- even companies. Even inside the company. Within the companies. Yeah. But as an industry as a whole, you think about it. What do you, you, you got API putting out Super Bowl ads like last year. That was embarrassing. And it, it was, <laughs> what was it like? Just like color splashes everywhere. And it was just like energy or something. Um, but oh, man. I missed that one. I didn't yeah, see it. Yeah. We, we've just done an absolutely terrible job. So we're, we're hoping some of this. Um, even though this is very niche on, on startups and, and technology, hopefully this message gets out there and hopefully change some of the per- perception uh, of what this industry is actually doing. Well, I appreciate you guys doing that. I mean, because every voice is so important to go on and doing that. And I have a theory about why we're so feckless at, at this in general. And that is, you know, this industry is mostly technical professionals. It's engineers and stuff yeah, like that. And, yeah. and they're very data driven and they're very science driven. And, uh, you know, Public perception is all emotionally driven. Yeah. And this is an industry also that whatever they made, they sold into, you know, you already knew what it was going to sell for and who you're going to sell it to. You didn't have to go really market it. You know, it was just a, so we don't have any, any kind of real, you know, we're not like, you know, the retail industry knows how to flip your amygdala to go get you to buy stuff and to go do stuff, all this, you know, to buy stuff you don't need. Yeah. Late night so, commercials. And they're incredible <laughs> at it. We mm-hmm. actually sell stuff you need and we sell it cheap yeah. and we don't know how to really go market it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you so imagine just like a sen- <laughs> sensational commercial. It's just like, oh, indoor heating. <laughs> with gas. You know, making it nice and sexy. Well, I don't know if y'all saw that, um... Uh, there's a news article sometime last week from a, a professor from Oxford and yeah. you know there's just constant attacks on these endowment funds sure. at, at universities hey you need to divest out of oil and gas stocks and um, so anyway, some of the students of Oxford, uh, started protesting him and they said, you need to divest out of oil and gas. He's like, Hey, look, you know, I can't divest, divest short term out of energy stocks, but what I can do is turn off the gas central heating in the dorms. And see I what just, happens. <laughs> I was like, man, it's such a legend. Like, and, and those, and those kids then said, 
that's borderline abuse. You can't do that. I'm going to call my this mom is, and dad. This is winter time. That's borderline <laughs> abuse. Yeah. So it, it's 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 just really interesting time, and I think honestly that it's probably. My thesis is that yeah. you get in these times where you're in these massive bull runs in the markets, and then people start looking, you know, towards uh, they want public enemies, right? And I think that once once everything calms down a bit, and people, you know, start, you know, once oil and gas goes through the roof, and all of a sudden a, a gallon of gasoline is, you know, six dollars, then people they they start wishing that they had access to cheap energy again. So yeah. I think that you go through these ebbs and flows of public sentiment. But, um, as far as, you know, what's actually happening within the industry with yeah. oil and gas tech. And I, I just don't think there's a lot of industries where there's more exciting things happening than yeah. what we have right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to take ourselves back collectively 2001 twilight in the desert and, you know, or 2003, whenever that book came out. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, at that time, a thesis, it was it was like oh no we're we're literally running out of oil like we're using a lot of the stuff every day but we're we're out like we're this goose is cooked you're gonna <laughs> you know and uh you know the kind of terrible decisions the government of the united states was forced to make to preserve our access to oil i mean you've got tens of days of petroleum stored up in the strategic reserve, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that's very strategic. And, um, <laughs> and, and like, Oh shit reserves. <laughs> and, and, and like, at, at it's full. So it's, it's a market that just the scale of it is mind boggling. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and to fast forward through, uh, the innovations and the way that this industry is able to capitalize on good ideas and just expand, um, you know, Ambassador Haley was, was speaking to a group of us at, at the NAEP conference today, and she was talking about her uh, view of, of the importance of the national security for having the ability to say, you know, it's just not that important when a whole oil refinery in Saudi Arabia goes up in flames. Absolutely. It's like, it's just, Absolutely. it's not, yeah. it, it doesn't, the, the sky is not going to fall. We're, we're going to, we're going to continue on it. It's, it's the innovations uh, for, you know, the food chain that's really been created uh, that that really allows it to, to happen, but I, I will I will say one thing that, um, you know, for for me as a as a as a startup founder into this industry, and you mentioned you know hiring about uh, you know kind of difficulty of getting developers to come work for in oil yeah. and gas, and you know that may be true in general, but I, I was fortunate enough to grow in a, in a home. You know, my dad went to work. He was in, ended up being an executive and had some great ideas along the way, try to help find uh, more reserves as a geophysicist. Um, so I got, I got, I got the, the whole picture early on and he was telling me about trips or he was going to Egypt and he, he was going to, you know, Indonesia and, you know, the difference between the first trip to Indonesia and, like the last trip to Indonesia and, you know, we, we found all this oil and all this gas and the difference in the, in the, in the country. And so it was, it's actually pretty easy to, to tell that story to, to somebody that maybe hasn't heard that. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really interesting, just by and large, you have all of this personnel flight away from the West coast because of policies and, and difficulties and in, in, in starting a business there. And I'm telling you right now, like, I think, Every every start, startup founder, every software company ought to be you know rubbing their hands together full force. <laughs> like, hey guys, guess what? You may have thought that 
you know, you couldn't start a, a startup company in, you know, anywhere but the West Coast. Yeah. But guess what? Like there are ideas all over the place, and and look at the look yeah. at the problems that we're solving too. Like okay, yeah. so you go out to Silicon Valley right now. The ideals, the ideas are still yeah. Like oh, cool, you're building a new email a product. Willow Facebook. Yeah, like they're just they're not. It's, it's they're, iterations of it's not a yeah. major step change. Yeah. It's yeah. iterations of the exact same thing. And I was actually talking to a guy last night who was listening to the podcast, and. He, you know, he kind of wants to leave his job and kind of go out and do his own thing. And I was like, man, I could leave everything I'm doing today and have 10 new startup ideas in oil and gas because so many things are still so much, so ass backwards. Yeah. And we yeah. complain about them, but those are still opportunities for us to come in and build some either amazing SaaS products or some amazing hardware products or some a yeah. new kind of network. I saw somebody trying to bring 5G yeah. to the Permian. Yeah. There's so many things that we can still do. So uh, from our experience, like you look at the TAM, the total addressable market, and if you did the pencil paper... And you, you know, we, you would have never started our software company 10 years ago. Yeah. Because you would have, okay, what's the total addressable market? Well, what's the cost to buy servers and to, and to, you know, do this and to do that and to hire IT. And, and you look at what we started with James and I, uh, two dudes with an idea, a piece of paper, and then a dirty prototype, but Amazon web services and cloud, cloud computing are enabling yeah. startups to start for mm-hmm. literally a spreadsheet. Like if there's a spreadsheet <laughs> out there somewhere that you hate using, then you should probably start a startup company to fix that spreadsheet for not just your company, but for 10 or 15 others. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that is such a good litmus test. It's yeah. like, Hey, am I using a spreadsheet for this task? Then I'm doing it, it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I just, I look at Silicon Valley and, you know, you look at people, uh, I respect Jason Calacanis so much, you know, very well-known angel investor. And, you know, he came out with his book, Angel, and there was one chapter and it had one sentence, one sentence in the chapter. And it said, um, do you have to be in Silicon Valley to be an angel investor? Yes. And I was just like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And you have these industries. I mean, oil and gas, I think is leading what I call the boring industries in technology. And like I said, that was the genesis of our podcast. I'd be preaching the message to West coast venture capitalists, you know, two, three years ago. I'd be like, Hey, you need to be taking a look at what's happening in oil and gas tech. And they'd be like, well, where can we find out about it? And there wasn't a place to learn about it. So that's why we started the podcast and just to see, I mean, even in just the last year, I mean, Mark, I can't tell you how incredible it is. Like, I'm going to go back to that last episode and I'm going to pull out that audio clip because I know somewhere I said, can't wait to see where you're at next time yeah. you're on the podcast. Yeah. And here you are acquired. Um, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable, man. So to see the progression, you know, kind of the genesis of this next wave of oil and gas tech and now seeing the the guys that got into it early and starting to get acquisitions and exits. I mean, it's Unremarkable. I mean, it's so awesome. Let's, let's talk yeah. about some of the strategy. So obviously, you guys at Inverus, you, you've evolved so much, right? Um, let's start there with, with the strategy, and then let's figure out with with the acquisition of Q, and then I want to like talk about specifically like about... That. Yeah. And, yeah and, and why why did you guys like Q Engineering so much, Alan? Well, I think that both of these guys brought a very, very uh, experienced eye to a real, to you know, a particular real problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also recognized that uh, we had a lot of data that if we could put it in front of these eyes, we're going to solve the next level problems. And yeah. so <laughs> it was a pretty simple, you know, simple concept because we're really trying to figure out, you know, what's happening right now in the oil and gas industry is, is uh, you know, all these companies, all the publicly traded companies are kind of zombies, right? 
Yeah. You know, they're, they're okay, you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to create free cash flow, you know. Is there a step lower than zombies? Because I think we're, we're entering that territory. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, and so, you know, and Wall Street changed change the rules on them several times, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and you're looking at this thinking, this is kind of crazy because they're, we found out you know, the kinematics of, the, of these reservoirs are, we didn't know. Yeah. You know, nobody knew. Yeah. And so everybody was sitting there putting hyperbolic declines on, on wells that were not hyperbolically declining. But you don't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the best case. But then so they come out there and say, okay, uh, today we know that they're going to hit a 17% terminal decline or what have you and instead of the 5%. And we all kind of knew that for a while. And but it was going to make an EUR difference of of thirty uh, percent. Mm-hmm. Well, then all of a sudden, when that happened, these companies were being haircutted by seventy or eighty percent because they're going to have a thirty percent estimated ultimate recovery difference. And that thirty percent of the estimated ultimate recovery on the wells that we're producing was really going to have only like a five percent internal rate of return impact. Because every bit of that thirty percent was in the was in year twenty to fifty that yeah. actually turns into zero dollars at the when you when you do it that way. So it was it was kind of this ridiculous response. It was you know you know there was irrational exuberance. It's exactly what we call exact you know irrational exuberance, but it's on the other side. It's irrational you know pessimism, irrational yeah. pessimism, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know and and frankly everything. I have great confidence in being able to solve engineering problems. I think that the world has an incredible track record at solving yep. engineering problems. Absolutely. I think it's a lot harder to solve physics problems. Yeah. You know, in terms of finding new physics or new chemistry, you know, fundamental you know, properties is a yep. difficult that is 10 orders of magnitude more difficult. Yep. And that's why this industry has been so successful over the last 5 or 6 years at being able to kind of meet every challenge. And then I think it was people were just trying to throw challenges at it and then finally just gave up and said, forget it. Just uh, we hate oil and gas. We'll finally admit it. We hate <laughs> oil and gas. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- there's a lot of talk right now with shell plays, obviously. You know, you, you see it everywhere. And a lot of people are losing uh, confidence in shell. And I'm an optimist by nature, right? So obviously I understand markets, understand economics, understand that cost structure is broken right now in oil and gas, but the optimist in me sees what can we do to leverage new technology to make operations cheaper? How can we actually scale this and make everything more efficient? And when I look at you know something like Q engineering, I mean, perfect example right and so how are you guys seeing it from your point of view alan um obviously you know you guys service everyone from you know shale to conventional wells um you know you're you're agnostic but what's your sentiment on the industry right now and your sentiment moving forward and you know do you think there are solutions to making shale profitable well, I'll, I'll tell you right now that if you take a look at like half cycle costs, right? The well, the well mm-hmm. returns. N- nearly every well that's being drilled today has uh, is is half cycle profitable. You know, yeah. I mean, if they it, tout you know 50 percent IRR yeah. half cycle yeah. economics. Right? A- absolutely, and so uh, you know, so what does that mean? It means that you've got some companies that have a pile of debt, 
in which they might have burned through a lot of cash or they picked up acreage that was more expensive than it should have. But that doesn't change the fact that the, high, the half-cycle economics are incredible. So what does that mean? All the other costs have to be, you know, your GNA, your your debt costs, all those other things have to be dealt with. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, about 20% of the public companies in, in 2019, 2020 are going to be uh, operating out of free cash flow and they're going to be growing their production. Well, that's a simple way of looking at it and saying, well, these are guys that are investing and making more money at it. And then if you take a look at a lot of these kind of distressed asset sales from these, you know, these formerly public companies, you know, like Alta Mesa and what have you, <clears throat> these guys are selling at no PDP and they're selling at a 30%, you know, a PV30 for their proven producing reserves. Mm-hmm. Just the producing ones. Just the producing ones. And so, and so that's the best deal that's ever existed. You know, in this world today where there's no yield anywhere, we have 30% internal rate of return yields. Baked in. Yeah. And, and, and you also have, you also have kind of the big, the big dollar uh, private equity groups, the hedge fund guys over there starting to make moves in there. We, you know, we were talking to a client today that said, we love this because we've got six and a half billion dollars and it's all this very sophisticated, smart money. And it just like everything, you have this 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 industry that is really, really nobody wants to touch it. No generalist wants to touch it, and they're looking at these things, saying, "This is incredible." You know, tell me where else I can get thirty percent rate of return. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're the most pessimistic person on the planet <laughs> with regards to oil and gas, thirty percent rate of return. It's hard yeah. to turn away from that it's, yield. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> Because oil and gas is still going to be used, and it's still going to be used for the next five or ten years. And uh, you know, I don't know, man. That's not what Greta's telling me on on <laughs> Twitter. So, <laughs> oh, Greta. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that I'm contrarian by nature, so I look at assets like that. And I mean, I've heard PV30. I've even heard up to PV40 from a good source that buys a lot of PDP deals, and it's just like, man, that's unbelievable. Who would pass that deal up? You know, if you're a high net worth individual and you're looking to invest and get direct commodity exposure, I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over time. But you know, I think you brought up a good point: is that you look at your half cycle economics and you're showing this extremely high RR at the wellhead, but by the time it passes through EMPs and your GNA, it's just it's 2,000 employees, capital destruction at its finest, and, right? But that's what I'm saying is that yeah. the optimist in me is like, okay, how can we operate these assets at a scalable level? You know, how can we grow our asset base without growing our overhead? You know, if we want to go acquire an asset, how can we do that without having to hire, you know, five engineers and geologists, et cetera? And I, that's how I see, you know, guys yeah, like you Just don't reinvent and, the wheel. Like, so on, yeah. that, on that point. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. If you're going to replace... A ton of a, a ton of fat and thousands of people doing nothing. Don't do it with thousands of people. <laughs> You're gonna re- <laughs> yeah. Reinvent it with five really smart guys, right? Yeah. So on that note, so b- both of you guys interface with ENPs day in and day out. Are ENPs evolving from a technological standpoint? Yes. Absolutely. In what in what ways? You heard, well, it. You heard mean, it from them uh, and themselves. They know. You know. I think the kinds of conversations that James and I had when. There's just the two of us. We're walking around. And we, we would get some feedback back. Yeah, no, this is great. We really see this, but you know, this is a little bit scary. I don't really know, you know, how this is going to work. You know, I'm, you know, I've got like one of like five engineers here, and 
you know, this, this going My down this on the road, line, I can't makes, try this, this out. Makes, makes me nervous. Um, and you know, one of the beauties of, of, of free market and is that whether you like it or not, competition is going to pick up the, the tool. And so you get in a situation where if you're not doing that analysis, the best way that you can possibly do it, you're introducing drag and inefficiency into your own process and you're losing out on what somebody else has down the line. Yeah. And so you look at some of the deals that Inveris has signed recently, you know, the tech access, the, you know, kind of the, 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 the enterprise scale deals it, because, you know, we, and the and part of the reason like why Q engineering is, is, is a part of Inveris now is that we want to be part of that solution for, uh, the, the industry at large, uh, if Alan's original vision is don't reinvent the wheel, then <laughs> how can we, like, how can we expose that same wheel to everyone, regardless of if you've got, you know, a million or a hundred thousand to invest in a couple of wells, yeah, uh, scaling it all the way up to the, uh, you know, pension fund backed public equity, yeah. uh, you know, EMP companies that you know, the service that we provide is beyond just cheap energy and, and lifting people out of poverty, but you know, the, 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 the manufacturing worker whose union is investing in, in, in hedge funds and they're putting money into oil and gas, like we're responsible to all those guys too. So the more work we do to highlight and to standardize the way that analysis is performed so that you don't get these wild, crazy, you know, I think the oil and gas industry is started by wildcatters and they're going to play a role as long as there is. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about public money, you know, let's, there's enough oil and gas to do the sure thing for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's important. The sure thing, Yeah, you know, at least with regards to, you know, being able to buy into the strip and to be able to go out there and do very predictable results. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Mark, you said, uh, when you guys in the early days were going out to EMPs and, you know, people were hesitant, you guys started in, was it 2016 or 2017? 2016 is uh, when we left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not that long ago. No. 2016 is not that long ago. And I mean, you're seeing, it sounds like a, a night and day difference between those early days and where well, look, we're at today. Unfortunately, look at all, look at the headcount, right? I mean, the, the headcount in the industry has dropped pretty significantly. Um, Wait, what is the latest number? Do you know? Uh, you know, I haven't seen it, but you know, you, you could, it doesn't, you can rattle off on all of your fingers, all of the layoffs that have yeah. been announced. Um, yeah. So not only, not only total headcount, mm -hmm. but age has decreased mm -hmm. as well. Do you think that that has played a big part in any, I mean, this is a question for both of you. Is this a, a, a factor that's played in the adoption of technology for with, any of your products? Without a doubt. I mean, uh, I felt like we were building products that were, you know, you would run into, the senior guy was some old guy who knew how to use what he had used for 30 years and he didn't want to learn anything else. And the whole concept of abstracting that stuff was like, Oh my God, this is just horrible. And, uh, and, and, and clearly, you know, this big gap, cause we have that huge, you know, kind of gap between the young guys of the, of the old generation and the, and the young guys of the new generation. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, uh, there's just a completely different way in, of how of, of the expectations of how you deal with technology and how you implement technology and frankly a lack of fear i mean it was you know we were we, we i came from a generation in which uh you learned how to do something and then you just replicated that over and over again as you went out and did that and uh uh it was not very uh, we weren't making a lot of breakthroughs and uh 
I think today is kind of the day of discovery, and this mm-hmm. is the most exciting time in my in my career to be in the oil and gas business because it is about discovery. It's all in and. It's not just going out there and repeating the same thing you've done 20 times before. And that has, and that actually has some kind of sociological consequence because, you know, back in the day, having 30 years experience was valuable. Yeah. And having 30 years experience today is in certain disciplines is actually more of a, a, a hindrance than it is a benefit. Yeah. Yeah, there was a comment on Twitter the other day, and I'd posted it on my LinkedIn. And long story short, was a reservoir engineer, undergrad in geology. He talked about 20, 30 years ago, he was working at a super major in their research firm or their research wing, and, you know, just doing these massive models offshore. And, you know, he's like, today my skill set, it's not, it's not valuable. He said, a three year engineer out of school with a uh, decent background in programming and analytics provides more value in today's market than what I do. And, um, said value inversion. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really interesting to see. But you also, you don't want to lose that tribe knowledge of the older generations, right? Because a lot you of, gotta, a lot comes with it. You got to balance it out. I mean, the, 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 the empirical data sets you can generate get you down the road yeah but you know you, there's no replacing that experience to call bs well, we, <laughs> so, so, we, so we gotta have that that gut that <laughs> intuition right so at urtech we we have a little contest at urtech and it is uh, which which paper was written by the data scientist <laughs> <laughs> was it easy to spot <laughs> it is actually amazingly easy to spot and uh, you can tell the data scientists that have not really worked in concert. I mean, and, and the various different companies have very different focuses on it. You know, there's been some really sizable companies that hired a bunch of data scientists and said that w- they didn't really want them working with geologists or geophysicists <laughs> or engineers, that they wanted to see what their independent views were going to be. Yeah. And that is like... Uh, not helpful. You know, it's not helpful. It's like buying a bugle and expecting it to play the Star Spangled Banner you know, it's like, on its own. You know, there's just it. It doesn't work. And yeah. uh, and you know, so if you find an engineer who's actually become very data proficient or data yeah. science proficient, that's that is the tool. These are yeah. data science is a tool mm-hmm. for the person who has the expertise to be able to go out there and look for relationships and and on a standalone basis. They are consultative. They should be consultative yeah. with that person. Yeah. Uh, but on a standalone basis, sitting there, and it, it was a joke for a while at Urtech. I mean, because there was, it was all these, everybody's known first principles for 50 years and were being, pre- you know, being presented as wildly different yeah. uh, insights. You're like, that's, you know, people <laughs> looking at each other going, what the hell? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Yeah, I, I get a lot of young engineers and geologists that reach out to me all the time and talk about how they can differentiate themselves from others. And I always point to cross-discipline. You know, you should be learning data science analytics because it's going to come from the engineers and the geologists yeah. that have. I mean, look at someone like Mark. You know, Mark um, had a true understanding of the industry and the problems that the industry was facing and was able to build solutions for those. I think that I've always, Jake and I have both always said this, as long as we've had this podcast, that I don't believe that the biggest solutions in oil and gas are going to come out of Silicon Valley. I think it's going to be internal from people that have a true understanding of oil and gas and the complexities and the idiosyncrasy 
properties, you know, that, that come with it. And so they learn, they learn how to build a solution been true for the most part. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there are exceptions, but for the most part, that is, that is pretty true. Yeah. So, Hey, real quick. Before we end this podcast, I got to put Alan on the hot seat real quick because all of Twitter wants me to ask him, how did you guys come up with the name and various <laughs> the people, the people want to know. I just told you he was, he, he was, he was firing back at people. So <laughs> what does it mean? How did you guys come up with it? So Inveris was a combination. We looked at two or 300 names and, uh, it was an exhausting. Every <laughs> three hundred names. I mean, yeah. I look at like five or ten. I'm like, yeah, we'll stick to that one. And it was Dish funny because we were like, like you know, these are you know, we just didn't like you. Know, we wanted to have a, a a word that didn't you know that wasn't in you know, that we could get as a URL. And that, yeah. there's all sorts of rules today that make it you know more and more rare as to yeah. be able to find. And uh, you know what we liked about Inveris was energy is the e you know, the en from energy. Yeah. And then uh, ver from you know veracity and veritas. Okay. And then us, we're all in it together. And uh, like uh, it. once it's described, I think people get it. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I remember I you know, did that one guy was he called us Corona and Varus. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that was one that was like. Oh. <laughs> was like well, know. I mean, it's, it's just you build this huge brand name. Yeah. I mean. Everyone knows Drillium phone in the industry, right? Yeah. And then you get, you know, your little subset DI and everyone's, you know, and then all of a sudden you guys just, you know, change it up, yeah. complete, you know, 180. And I thought, you know, and, and frankly, you know, it was a, this one guy was, you know, well, there was several, you know, but then they were, <laughs> there was like, you know, I hate the name. I just hate the name. And, uh, you know, we had eight guys standing around the water cooler talking about what a terrible name it was. And I said... <laughs> Hey, when was the last time eight people were sitting around the water talking cooler about talking about drilling, inf- yeah. about, about drilling info? Yeah. Well, you, and I said, you, you said I win. On, I win. You said that on Twitter the other day. And no, I was like, is bad look, look, look. <laughs> I, I like to think it's that. the I know Elon Musk approach, right? <laughs> I like to think I know a little bit more about marketing than most people. You know, it's how we built the podcast. Huh. And Alan brought this up on Twitter the other day. He's like, hey, we're all here on Twitter talking about it, right? And I was like, holy shit, he's right. We are. So, yeah, kudos to you, man. I just had to ask everyone on Twitter. Well, and, me you know, one of the things that I think brands are, you know, brands are like stickers, right? You can kind of put them on anything, but the brand doesn't mean anything without the people behind them. Absolutely. And if you think about like our experience in being acquired, um, you know, it's, it's nervous. It's, it's something that you, you don't really know how it's going to work out until it works out or it doesn't work out. Um, and to be an aggregator in the space and to, you know, provide the fuel for startups to have their hopes and dreams kind of realized and, and really a, a goal to chase. You've also got to have the people behind that brand mm-hmm. to actually execute. And, you know, like we went through a lot, you know, I, I, I've, and we've, we've been at it for a month, but I can honestly say that, you know, the expectations that I had, uh, were high and the people, Ed and Varys that, that brought us on, that welcomed us in. Everybody from, you know, Alan Gilmer, Jeff Hughes, Tony Harding, all, uh, not Tony Harding, Tony Andrian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you me for a loop there. I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> Whoa, we got we to talk about this. <laughs> Breaking kneecaps. <laughs> all the way down, all the way down to, uh, you, you know, uh, business development has worked at the uh, company for, for a couple of months. And, and the, the, the warm welcome that we've received coming into the, to the family and, I, and I think the excitement at which we're going to be building forward for, for the next however many 
years is 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 worth celebrating and and, and so when you put together a brand like energy and truth and, and us together it doesn't mean anything unless you can actually execute on it so Absolutely. Uh, regardless of what the marketing team did the the the, the guys inside the the brand are doing it right well yeah. you know one one of the things uh one other thing on on the name was we didn't. We really didn't like the idea of just you know here is this company that's going. You know we're this company that's gobbling up these other companies, and everybody yeah. was going to have to support. You know, brands are important. You know, people build a brand, and they're and they're you know, emotionally tied to the brand. And it was really kind of an example to say we'll get rid of our brand. Let's all get together under a separate brand. You know, or you know we're all going to make the, the sacrifice, and uh, we're all going to come together under this common brand. It's not going to be this guy taking over this guy. Yeah, you're, you're not just the incumbent that's swallowing yeah. everyone up. Yeah. I like it. You always like hear the it. nightmare stories of acquisitions gone wrong and founders getting booted and there's bad blood between you know the the acquire and the acquire. Yeah, some even in energy data, I can't. I don't know who they would be. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really it's reassuring to hear that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's reassuring to hear that you know that, that this has gone very very smoothly. It seems like you guys are right at home. It seems like Alan's you yeah. know been a mentor for the least past few years and, and will continue to do so. Uh, so I'm happy for both of you guys. I think this is absolutely. Yeah, I just phenomenal. want to add one thing too before we close this out. I think on the last podcast, if you go back and listen, I think Mark, you know, just how much you talk up your team that you have behind Q Engineering. And I think that really just speaks volume of one, the team that you have behind Q Engineering. I mean, they're you fantastic. Know, you're here on the show, but really, you know, the, these these people are, are just absolutely killing it. And I, I think that, um, Smart you know, true leader. Yes, exactly. That, that, that's where I'm getting at with it. And, um, you know, Alan, I think that you guys acquired, a, you know, a great a great team here in Q Engineering and Mark as an individual. So, again, congratulations. Couldn't be excited, more excited for, for you guys. Well, it's easy when they make you look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it right. turned out that, uh, in fact, that we were, you know, several years separated, but we were we attended the same residential college at Rice. So, oh, oh really? Rice yeah. will sweep. Will Rice will sweep. <laughs> <laughs> March reliving reliving his glory days. Hey, <laughs> I was I was Chuck Captain, man. I I. That's probably not surprising. <laughs> you know, and I'm not surprised I, I, at all. Actually. I, I could say I've been a lot, a lot more surprised by other things. So. <laughs> hey guys, well, thank y'all for coming on the show, Mark. Alan, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, this show is going to go out right now. Nape's happening, so lots going on. Um, I feel like this glass of champagne is probably just the, the first of many yep. for me tonight. So, guys, Mark, I'm sure you'll be on for a fourth time sometime here soon. Hell, yeah. we may just make you a third co-host maybe sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm game for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that your, 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 your listeners necessarily want that. Oh, but. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll take a poll. And Alan, we'll get you on the show sometime. We, I'm sure we can have a three-hour session dedicated just to, to your, your I want to hear the nitty-gritty. So, yeah. Oh, man, so, that's great. All the details. So once again, thanks, guys. Uh, all right, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, please take two seconds. Uh, leave us a rating review. Share it with your friends. Um, once again, major congratulations to these guys. Uh, we will catch you on the next episode.